listening to the SLCC podcast series What's on the Agenda. Each episode brings you content created especially for clerks. The shows include question and answer sessions with sector experts, special guests and much more. Learn more about our podcasts by visiting us at slcc.co.uk slash podcasts. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm joined by Alan Fetchard and Adrian Corder-Birch. Now, Alan, you are a retired town clerk. I am indeed, And yes. Adrian, you're a... I'm still working as a You're still working? Yes. And you're going to tell us the name of that parish council, aren't you? Because I'm not going to get it right. Yes, it's Little Yeldham. Tilbridge to Clare and Ovington Parish Council, which is in North Essex, very close to the Suffolk border. Fantastic. Lovely. So how are you finding the 50th SLCC uh, conference? It's nice. It's nice to be back face to face with everybody, isn't it? It is. Um, Adrian, I, I know that for the last couple of years, we've had some COVID pressures on face to face meetings. How, how are you finding coming back to this one? Very good. It's very friendly. It's extremely well attended. And I'm very honoured to be here for the to celebrate the Golden Jubilee of the Society of Local Council Clerks. So are there are there any of the keynote speakers and they've got an amazing lineup today, you know, other than you guys, you know, who who are you looking forward to to sort of sort of going and seeing and, and, and listening to? Is there well, is there someone on your list that you're looking forward to? Well, I think Ben Fogel. Ben Fogel. I think <laughs> I think Ben's a draw for everybody. I think I think that's why the, where, where the, the the conference is being is being held up in in Hinkley and and the hotel that we're at is now full. So I, I think I think that may be the benefit that everybody has come to 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 see him. But I think there's a lot of uh, speakers here over the course of the two days. They've all got this very important message about climate change and, and what we can do to make a difference. You know, Adrian, in, in, you know, in your in, in your parish, are you seeing any impacts? Are, are you feeling the impact of this? Are the community raising it as something that they want the, the council to look, look into? Yes, I think it's something they are conscious of. And um but bearing in mind, we are three very small villages, so we're perhaps not quite so active as some of the larger parishes. No, I think I think as you say, bigger parishes and towns probably have a, well, they have a larger resident base yes. in the first place, and they and they have a lot of services. Yes. But I think you know, we were saying earlier on to, to to the Baroness, you know, children are leading this, aren't they? You know, they are very environmentally aware. They are very green. They 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 understand recycling. They they don't want plastics in the sea. They know all. It's it's almost something that they they they. They understand and champion. I think the older generation, we're, 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 we're almost catching up with them. And this is one of the, the things other the speakers that we know uh, that are here are saying that we, we need to do something. And, and everyone is feeling that pressure from, as you say, very small parish councils upwards. And the community engagement, the younger members of the community are challenging councils to to go and do something. Can you do this? You know, I, I, you know obviously where you are, Adrian, Recycling bins probably many years ago didn't exist. Now I think everywhere you go in every parish, there are recycling bins. You know, I think it's these small steps that we're making that that small councils, medium and large councils are taking to provide the facilities. Uh, solar powered signs you see are again quite common now. Years ago, all road signs would be lit. Now all new ones are solar powered. Again, a, a much better green footprint. Um, and and. Uh, you know, Adrian, as, as you were saying, you, you are quite a small parish, but the impacts, I think, will be felt by all of us. Yes. I think if something isn't done, no matter how small the community, 
the impact will be equally felt by all. Yes. Um, yeah, definitely. Turning to you, Alan, mm. and you know, obviously, this is a, a very important message that you know the the fiftieth has brought together. Yeah, and could I pick up and indeed and carry on the theme which you just just referred to with Adrian that as far as what we're now using is almost a catch-all phrase sustainability encompasses an awful lot as you quite rightly said, and uh, having uh, having spent the whole of my working life within local government and indeed within parish and town councils 43 years in, in local government nearly 40 years as a full-time clerk um, I now uh, have been the privileged position in fact of continuing my interest in certain aspects of what parish and town councils do in particular I, I, I've been for many years now giving advice lecturing webinars on cemetery and churchyard management which is not the first service that springs to people's mind when you talk about local government services but very interestingly, looking at sustainability, and in particular, the comment you made about children, I've recently changed some of the aspects of my, my, my webinars, in fact, to bring in the question of, again, nobody thinks about this, when you memorialise, when you put things on graves in respect to the loved ones that have been buried in that grave, and when you go out at Christmas times, you put a Christmas wreath on the grave there. And, you know, millions of or thousands, tens of thousands, probably millions of people are putting wreaths on graves, understandably. Do we think about what those wreaths are made of? Do we think that plastic flowers are recyclable? Do we wonder whether, in fact, we need a cemetery full of wooden benches as opposed to possibly trees as a way of memorialising people? Because local authorities at the moment are clearing away, for example, those Christmas wreaths. And those Christmas wreaths, which are usually made with plastic and with various other non-biodegradable materials, end up in landfill. If you could persuade, working with, say, schools, persuade children, to say to mum and dad, or indeed grandma and granddad, when you're thinking about going up and see the family grave there, can I make a wreath for you made out of wood or a wood or twigs or whatever? When you get to when you say to people, instead of putting that vase of flowers in a jam jar or whatever on the grave, why not think about if the council will let you putting in some early flowering spring bulbs as an alternative? When you want to, in fact, remember a member of the family, and the council would like you if you wished it to make a donation. Ask the council, would they prepare to accept a tree with a nice little plaque on as opposed to yet another wooden seat? They're the sort of things I think, and that's just one aspect of what we do, and that cuts across all the things, not just cemeteries, obviously, play areas, recreational areas. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come bottom-up, we'll use that phrase, and the bottom-up means that children are going to talk to parents and parents are possibly going to talk to their parents, and that's the way it's going to go because there's no doubt about it. This generation is interested in and being taught about the need for sustainability following on from climate change and following on from what we, be, what we see nationally in the press. Yeah, yes, a Alan, you know, exactly. We, we were talking about this. We touched on this yesterday, well, you know, with planting memorial gardens rather than, you know, as you say, you know, maybe a, the, the reefs. And again, with Remembrance Sunday rapidly approaching, right. uh, you know, I would wander countrywide how many reefs are well, in pure fact, plastic. You're quite right. In fact, I, my wife happens to be involved with our local church uh, where I live in, in, in Norfolk. And uh, she actually asked the question whether, in fact, there were biodegradable 
um, British Legion reads available. At the moment, the British Legion are looking at it, but at the moment, no, they're not biodegradable. And there will be tens of thousands of reads put in various places across the country, in churches, in, memor- in memorials. In, uh, you know, uh, and I'm sure the British Legion will get round to this. But again, it's a question of triggering this in people's minds. Didn't think about it, you know. It's not diminishing the tributes. It's not diminishing any way what you're achieving when it comes to but it particularly comes to you know, remembering the dead remember those that gave their lives for us in, in various wars there but let's make sure in fact that when those wreaths need to be cleared away that they can be put in landfill and they can biodegrade yeah, yeah exactly I, I will touch on you know the comment there we didn't think about it I think no. that's something that's that you know all of us do 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 have that yeah. that well we didn't think that that mattered we didn't think that that made a difference yeah. you know and 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 one of the other things you know you said the younger generation would have thought does that degrade will it degrade yeah. do i need that do i need that made out of plastic yeah no you know is there an alternative they're yeah. thinking that now and i think yeah. from parish and and, and you know uh, as you were yeah. saying you know uh, from a town council's perspective yeah. it's important that we signpost people if as you say with the royal british legion if they come out with a, a, a degradable rate, I think councils should signpost organize. You know, there are many, you see, you know, our, our local war memorial, there might be 15, 20 reeves all the way around that come Remembrance Sunday yeah. from the varying institutes. Not one of them will be degradable. Yeah. yeah. And I think as a council, the moment that, that a degradable one is available from the RBL, we should all be signposting yeah. our, our communities together. Yeah. And let me just talk to. Let me just uh, ask my friend Adrian here. Adrian, as, as Adrian has said, he's from a very small council. This is the sort of issue which is relatively uh, no cost at all. Whether you're a small council, whether you're a large town council, whatever your financial resources are, whatever your staffing resources are, it is not difficult, in fact, to change from and to educate in the nicest possible sense um, the public to think about what they're putting in public spaces and indeed through them through the councils themselves and i'm sure adrian you know this is the sort of thing that some of your councils may have picked up over the years yes <coughs> yes it is and um, i think i think we're all conscious of uh, the need for improvement and um in fact i should be laying a wreath um, on remember sunday um, on behalf of the lord lieutenant mm. um one of the our large local um Remember Sunday services at um, Sibyl Headingham, and and the wreath will, will unfortunately be uh, of the sort that's not yet degradable. So, um, yeah, uh, know, I, I, I think that's I, it, I isn't it? Entirely with Alan, you know, with what he said, and you know, it's time for us to try and you know improve and educate everyone else. Yeah, and I think it's showing. It's showing. Councils need to commercially. There's there's often best practices are always discussed commercially. We were again we were you know we got our IT heads on yesterday. We had a good conversation about early IT. Commercially, best practice is always the way they look at operating. It's getting councils in thinking that same way, whether large or small. Yeah, and indeed, as we we were talking about yesterday, what councils large and small, and again, if I can come back to the issue of of cemeteries, in fact, there's no reason why, in fact, councils that know that, for example, some of our national uh, uh, outlets for for flowers, florists, uh, people like Interflora, it's just one name, there are many others, of course, and indeed local florist outlets, are now realising, in fact, that people would like to see their flowers wrapped in biodegradable plastic and that the ribbons that are tied round bunches of flowers, which possibly end up maybe on graves or so, given 
presence. In fact, are reusable ribbons. Once you've got uh, an outlet in your town, be it a national outfit or your local uh, local business, and they're doing this, advertise the fact. It doesn't cost you anything. You can simply say to people, do you realise that you know this particular outlet is in? I can guarantee other outlets will be jumping on the bandwagon very quickly. And so it costs you nothing. You're doing a thing. Nobody's going to object to, in fact, the publicity. And those that have not thought about it will think, wish you'd done that as well. We'll get there as well. But I think, again, one thing you've just touched on there, you know, Her, Her Late Majesty the Queen, she didn't want any plastic wrappings yep. on any flowers left in, in, in memorial to her at the varying sites. You know, now we obviously know, you know, King Charles, He's he has been environmentally aware for many, many years. Yep. And I think that, you know, what came through, you know, with the sad passing of the Queen was that request not to wrap everything in, in plastic so that those flowers would degrade, you know, biodegrade back into the ground yep. without having huge swathes of plastic just stuffed into bins that, that you couldn't do anything with. And I think every parish and town up and down the country is probably faced with the same problem, yep. you know, of, of seeing these huge swathes of flowers all wrapped. Yeah. You know, and and and, and again, it, it's it's that oh, we didn't realise. I think comes you know. I think we were we were of, of course advised this was her, her wishes and and to do it that way. Um, one thing I will ask, and this is this is something that we we were saying yesterday. Back in 1972, you gentlemen share something, don't you? You were yes, we yes, were. Adrian. Adrian, tell us I about think. It. Tell us about 1972. <laughs> Let's go back to back well, to 1972. Doctor Who's going to take us back. <laughs> <laughs> but it seems just like yesterday. Alan <laughs> um, and I both attended the national conference of the then National Association of Parish Councils, which very shortly afterwards became the National Association of Local Councils. The meeting was held at Central Hall, Westminster. And there were, I think, some 2,000 delegates there. Um, and on the second afternoon, um, it was announced that could, would all clerks meet sep in a separate meeting room within the building of Central Hall to consider the possibility of forming a, a society of local council clerks. So the, the, the main body of the hall, the delegates almost emptied out <laughs> because it just shows how many clerks were present. And we all met in a separate room. Um, within in the building, and that's when the society was inaugurated. So, um, yes, and just prior to that, of course, uh, uh, bearing in mind we're talking about 1972, and I think many of our colleagues realise, and those that have uh, been through Elizabeth uh, Elizabeth Skinner, our academic leaders' uh, study courses, will realise, of course, that the reorganisation of local government, which in fact transformed the pattern of local government, in other words, the rural district councils and the urban district councils disappeared and greater cows were given to parish councils. That didn't actually happen until 1974. So we were, as Adrian said, we were talking about forming a society of local council clerks in 1972, anticipating what was going to happen. Um, we were surprised, I'm sure Adrian was the same, we were surprised about the interest shown. Prior to that, meeting, that big meeting in, in Central Hall in 1972, uh, I, as one of a number of colleagues, that at that time, full-time parish council clerks, had met. Um, uh, we, we, we'd been in, got, got in contact with each other and we'd, we'd formed a working working part, working group there. Hence, we, we decided, in fact, we would test out whether there was any 
any really interest in this. So we were pleasantly surprised. Um, the room, I recall, um, Adrian's memory might be better than mine. I think somebody had booked the room for about 150, around 400 clerks during the lunch break. <laughs> crammed into the room and said yes please put your hands up i happened to be one of the one of the founder members there and i was delegated in fact to to become the membership secretary and i think i hold the record as of today within 12 months i'd signed up a thousand clerks who were prepared to pay a relatively small subscription to join the society of local council clerks and the rest they say is history. history. <laughs> <laughs> See, again, this is one thing we touched on yesterday, wasn't it? Was the, the, the fact that this happened in 1972. And, and, and obviously we are all conscious of the Local Government Act from 1972. And you were saying yesterday, Alan, that that, that didn't really take effect until 1974. No, it, just, was a, it, was, it was a couple of years later, wasn't it? It was indeed, because obviously it was a major... Re- it, uh, preceding this, of course, we had a, a Royal Commission, a parliamentary a Royal Commission report into, which took three years back in the late 60s towards the, towards the end of the 70s. Uh, a gentleman called, well, it was in fact became Lord uh, Radcliffe Maud. Radcliffe Maud produced a report as a result of the Royal Commission's inquiry into local government. It said in England, but it covered Wales. And that led, in fact, to the recommendations that were made, which effectively significantly reduced the number of councils, principal authorities, and introduced the concept for the first time of town councils, which were mostly the old urban district councils. Uh, and at the, at the same time, significantly enhanced our powers. I won't through the, the various powers that we had, but prior to that, we had certain powers, but they were very limited. I mean, for example, um, prior to the reorganisation of Local Government 72, if a parish council, no matter what their size was, wanted to borrow money to build something, a capital scheme, they needed to call a parish meeting and get the permission of the community. If that permission was refused, they could not borrow money. That power, in fact, changed in 1970 for the 72 Act, which gave the council members, the elected members, the power to decide whether or not. I mean, I'm sure they would still consult, but the power rested with the elected members as opposed to the community. Might sound undemocratic, but you can imagine, in fact, some council, in fact, spending years trying to persuade people to allow them to borrow money to extend the village hall. And there's always one person that says, no, 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 we don't need this. I never, I never use, I've never been in the village hall. I don't need it. I don't need, <laughs> I don't need that village hall. Absolutely. No, I, I, I do. I, I think the changes, and, and, and this is why, you know, it's like, from, you know, over those 50 years, the changes in local government and, and what parish and town councils do, um, and and, and I, I think, again, it was one of the comments I heard earlier on that a lot of people see the council, especially some of the, as the council, that they don't separate the fact that yeah. there is a parish, there is a town, a district or a, a county or a unitary or, or a borough. It's the council. The council. Yeah. And I think this is it. Oh, that's not done because it's the council's fault. Yeah. And and you hear that often. And, and again, oh, the council should do something about that. They know there is a council, but they're not really sure which part of that council they need to engage with. You know, as, as a councillor myself, I hear it quite common. Oh, we knew it was broken, but we didn't really know who to tell. And you say, well, you know, there are several options nowadays. And I imagine if we went back 50 years, even identifying your council is probably a challenge. Yeah. Whereas nowadays, a lot, I think a lot of the community know there is a council and they probably know how to sort of interact with it in some way. The younger members will know how to interact with the council and report something. And I think I think people nowadays, as we were saying earlier on with, with, with climate change, they're more aware yeah. of that streetlight doesn't work, I'll tell someone. Yeah. 
whereas for a long time, it would, streetlights never worked. And you'd hear it. Oh, Bob that used to live on the corner, he knew John that went to this school. The streetlight didn't work then. And, and that would be it, wouldn't it? You know, that would be the community's view. The streetlights never worked and the council's never fixed it. Nowadays, people are straight, you know, I, I know social media, you know, where I, I live, they're straight on the, oh, the streetlight and then the road's out. Yeah. It's probably only been out 20 minutes. And straight away, someone has noticed it. And I think, again, where councils have have gotten better at delivering services, and I think, again, you know, uh, you know, Alan, over the years, you would see, you would be witness to that. Yeah. That could be fixed same day. You won't be surprised if I say, in fact, that the most important, the most valuable asset any parish or town council has, whether they're the smallest town, smallest parish, the tiny precept or the largest town council, the most valuable asset they have is a parish town council clerk, in fact, that has sufficient experience hopefully professionally qualified, to advise the council on how they can do what they want to do. Because in most cases, we have the powers, and depending on our financial resources, we have the powers to do what we want. But it may well be, in fact, you approach the problem in different ways. And this is where an experienced and well-trained clerk can advise members on options. Simple example, we can't afford to load the cost of this scheme in one year on the precept. Why not borrow the money? Well, that will involve loan charges. Why not, in fact, if it's a scheme which is going to produce revenue, so structure that scheme that the revenue that you get pays the cost of the loan charges? All of a sudden, you've got what you want. It's not costing you anything effectively because the loan charges and the loan will eventually be paid off it's been paid for and the revenue you're deriding from that again that comes from an experienced clerk offering members options exactly Alan. and that's, and where, that's where the society is there we're uh, there to educate yes, we're uh, there to advise and we're here this afternoon or the last two days in fact to again the, the, the phrase these days network and we gain as much from talking to our colleagues as we in fact do possibly listen to experts on a specific subject what have you done how did you do it we've got the same problem interesting i'll take this back to members i've learned something i do i do i listen to lots of conversations while you know over yesterday today and and, and i'm sure you know t- um, tomorrow where clerks are sharing that knowledge mm. with each other and i think that's where as you say the society is important it is it is that global network of cl- countrywide global network of clerks yeah. sharing that information and 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 uh what they're doing to overcome some of these 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 problems in their communities yeah. and, and as you were saying adrian earlier on even a small parish has access to a lot of powers yes. and and can do a lot in that community yep. and that you know it is always a clerk you know I, I i must admit you know i i have a lot of love for our clerk she you know she is the the cornerstone of, of, of all not only you know in the council but in the meetings you know it, we should do and, and there'll be small notes passed over and i think up and down the country clerks are leaning to the chair and and, and giving a nudge and, and 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 showing them something that she has gained from those skills those qualifications those networks that she knows is going to deliver is going to work and again i i think that counts a, a good council runs from the clerk you know the clerk yeah. is there for that guidance and and that and that ear as well you know look a parishioner wants this how can we do this yeah and the clerk invariably if it doesn't know has the society to pull back on or other clerks in her or his network to ask. I think So beyond they're... just, in fact, helping, assisting, educating um, clerks, where else, in fact, can the Society of Local Council Parks, a political, oh, sorry, a professional body, which is apolitical, 
How else, in fact, can we influence outside our own particular sphere of activity? People like my colleague here, who is, in fact, our external affairs officer, talking, in fact, to ministers, possibly more likely to be civil servants in various government departments, saying to them, look, when you're talking about our sector, we are here to give you information, data, uh, and indeed to answer the questions and hopefully guide you because you'll have your own representatives that you'll approach within principal authorities, the local government association. But as far as parish and town councils are concerned, and particularly those professionals that run them, we're the body, in fact, that have got the data, got the information, come and talk to us, involve us in your discussions and your consultations. Adrian, what do you think? No, I agree entirely. Um, and going back to the 1972 Act, the interesting thing is that the Royal Assent was given just a few days before that national conference that we all attended Indeed, yeah. on the 2nd and 3rd of November 1972. So the, the 72 Act was had just appeared on the statute books. Prior to that, Alan and I both worked with the 1894 Act and particularly the 1933 Sorry. Local Government Act. And one thing that I did recall um, was the Section 137 of the Local Government Act 1972 and the powers that that provided for parish councils in terms of expenditure. And it's something that um, I as a parish council clerk have always advised our, uh, our council to use where appropriate and they have used it from time to time but unfortunately some councils I find don't always use the powers that they are given which is, is a great shame but I think that reflects what Alan has said about yeah. the quality of the clerks yeah. if, if the clerks um, are good then they can advise the council where to seek help. Yes, you mentioned the local government, the yeah. Section 137, as many of our colleagues understand, what was termed, I think, loosely termed, the free, free two, two pence. pence. It's not free. <laughs> it's the power to spend community yeah. taxpayers' money. Yes, but prior, in yeah. fact, to yeah. the 1972 Acts, when we had the power to spend up to a 2p rate in those days, it was rates as opposed to community mm, charge. Yes. Yes, prior yes, to that, yes. a lot of people would remember from probably don't know, I forget, that we still had a power under earlier legislation, but it was one-tenth of one penny. So from one-tenth of one penny per head of population to two pence per head of population was quite a significant increase, even for the smaller parishes. And it was the right to determine, as the elected members, what is good for the community. We might not have got specific powers, but we can do this. Later on, of course, we have the general power of competence, which some councils have got by virtue, again, of having a professionally qualified class, yes. which expands that right to do what the elected members feel is in the interest of their community, even though they might have not have a specific statutory power. And that, that was one thing we touched on yesterday, wasn't it, yeah. Alan? The, 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 the advantage of the, G, of, the, of the general power of competence yeah. um, from the Localism Act 2011, I yeah, think that I think came in. Right. I think yeah. that came in then. Yeah. Again, that, that clerk, that power is, is far greater than Section 137 ever, ever was. Is, yeah. and, and one of the interesting things, and, and this again, you know, uh, my own clerk made me aware, you don't have to use that within the constraints of your parish. Right. You can have a wider impact using general power of competence than you could with 137, yeah. which was limited almost to your the ward or the parish. That's where that had to go. Yep. So if someone was doing... Um, you know, a, a charitable event that maybe a you know to raise funds for something locally, but it wasn't done inside them. You couldn't have done it previously, yeah. and the council couldn't have assisted. Yeah. And now they can. And again, this is what we we were saying um, earlier on. With you know, it's that skilled clerk, that that trained, qualified clerk yeah. that knows we can do that. Yeah. And, and as we were saying earlier on, it's that that 
what councils should know yep. and be doing. And indeed, general power of competence is so wide that although, uh, as far as I'm aware, there's very little that we're specifically debarred from doing. But for ex let's take a simple example. Education at the moment is going through the difficult situation where, as the country is generally, they're, they're strapped for cash. So things like supply teacher in short supply, they're being cut. Now, as parish and town councils, we are not education authorities. They're principal authority duties. But we can use GP, uh, general power of competence. In fact, so for example, give a contribution to the education authority to support the continuation of the work of a supply teacher in a school. We don't employ them, but we can give financial support. And that's the same. Um, I, I think again, we, we, we touched on the the, the local uh, the police and support community officers as right. well. PCSOs, PCSOs, yeah. you yeah. know, you know, councils with the GPC can support them in the community as well. They don't employ them, but no. they can they can effectively pay their wages, pay their salary. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, 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 through the constabulary. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. I, I think again, there's probably so much. This is probably a topic for a, you know a, a separate yeah. show. We could sit down and and, and discuss the, the 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 benefits of of getting that qualified clerk to get the GPC, yeah. you know, for a council, for those councils that are that are hesitant for applying for it and have sat with Section 137 and they're happy with that, to show them the benefits of going for the general power of competence yeah. and what benefit that could bring to the community over and above, I want to say, the narrowness of Section 137, because it's quite focused, isn't it, really, on, on where... Well, it's narrow and it's also, of course, limited. Exactly. Two P is the limit. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Where, you yeah. know... Uh, GP, uh, general power of competence, there is no limit. No, 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 exactly. And I, I think those, there's probably many parish, small, small town, that have probably sat on 137 with insufficient funding to deliver something that they know the community wants and they've not considered GPC. They've not looked at that and thought, you know what, if we went down that route within a term, now we've got elections coming up in May for most, so you're going to have that elected council. We've got to be we've got to be upfront here in terms of GPC, of course, that one of the uh, qualifications, in fact, for using the power is that you have to have, in fact, a appropriately qualified clerk, and there are appropriate qualifications. The qualifications, in fact, which are available through the society in terms of teaching aids, so that is a condition. So the clerk, he or she has got to be qualified. But beyond that, once you've got that, a qualified councillor, you also the council also have to have an electoral mandate as well. In other words, I'm afraid that because there's been no election for the last fifty years and everybody's been returned, <laughs> I'm afraid it doesn't work. So there are two, you know, two basic qualifications. They're not, you know, you know how you encourage people, in fact, to stand for councils that you've got more candidates, you've got seats. That's a different issue. That probably. <laughs> other probably clerks would say that's beyond my pay grade. But certainly in terms of qualifications, you know. The help is there. The council, any council, as small as they are financially, should in fact set, enough, set aside an appropriate sum of money to in order to train a clerk to achieve that qualification and gain the advantages that the, that qualified clerk and, of course, the electoral mandate would give them in terms of that spending power. Yes, yes. The, the, the clerk is the cornerstone of this, of, of this, and and makes makes all of the difference too. As you were saying, and you know, agent, a small or large council, it's that clerk, the knowledge that that trained and qualified clerk brings to that council yeah. is probably, you know, uh, it's probably not a price that you could put on that yeah, that that, yeah. that set of skills. Right? Do you know what I'm going to say? We have had a fantastic conversation. We've covered so many topics this afternoon. I think, Alan, I'm going to have you back again. And I think we'll, well, we'll talk about some more things. lovely sitting here with my colleague Adrian there. We go back a long way. You know, We were both babes in arms when we joined society, as you'll probably gather from the 
Yeah, but, the youth that coming through in our voice is now experienced. Yeah, everybody's. Yeah, yeah, we both. Yeah, we both. We both, both got. I think different is memory. Remembering remembering these things. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but thank you so much indeed. I thank hope it's you. been helpful. I hope, in fact, it will trigger some, uh, yeah, some discussion, possibly some ideas, and and uh, you know, some thoughts amongst our colleagues who I hope will tune in and listen to this podcast. I think that's a hope, Alan. Yeah, you know, I, I couldn't have said it better, uh, uh, Alan. Um, Fairchild, thank you very much, and Adrian Corder. Birch, it's been lovely having you with us this afternoon. Thank, thank you. you. It's thank been a you. pleasure to be here. Thank you very much.